welcome to episode four of my Dalarama's Top Picks. And this week, we're going to start with the usual, our film festival, TV and Netflix selections and discuss American Horror Story Apocalypse, that season eight. And we selected this one because we both like horror films and we thought this would, would be a good one to pick because they all have good reviews. However, from my understanding, Apocalypse was considered one of the better seasons after some not so great ones. So I am Coco Green, armchair critic and future academic. I'm Abla Kandelaft. I'm a film programmer, essentially, amongst other things. Great. So this week, my picks are just a few. First was American Son, and it is like a play, really. It might have been adapted. So that's from 2019. And it's about parents waiting at the police station to find out what happened to their son. And spoiler alert, he was killed by the police. But they're having a discussion about race and class and policing and identity. So it's the son, they showed a photo, did they? I'm not sure if they showed a photo or if I imagined him, but I think he's certainly, so he's black, has a black mother, a white father, and certainly presents as black. And I think in the US, of course it varies by region and generation, it's about him coming into his black identity, although I think it's somewhat problematic the way they framed it as if identity is shaped by how police see you or how white people see you versus how you relate to other institutions. So also I watched The Business of Drugs, just a few episodes though, but the standout one, and this was from 2020, also on Netflix, and the standout for me was Cannabis, which is episode five, and it talks about the gives a snapshot really of small businesses behind the movement to legalize dispensaries in California and the barriers to being shut out for the small businesses and then they did a little bit on the black businesses now I couldn't quite figure out because different articles had different numbers so about the number of black dispensaries so one said three percent and I'm wondering well if the state is five percent is that hugely off given the lack of wealth for black business I mean I just wasn't sure what they were trying to get at because it's like well would you really expect it to be 13 percent if it's in the state of California and at any rate though it it was okay I just thought I would like to see more numbers because they would talk about oh well we have these growing facilities and we have these storefronts and no one really gave numbers behind how they the value of the business, the industry was given. But that doesn't mean that your business itself is profitable. So you never get a sense of how many good jobs were created and by good jobs. I mean, paying a family wage. So I do encourage others, though, to watch it, though, because it's hosted by a CIA agent. And I was waiting to see if there was going to be a discussion about the role because, you know, historically the CIA has a role in destabilizing communities through the, well, destabilizing black communities through the sale of crack cocaine that's been documented. You know, I don't need mm -hmm. to go over that again, but I thought she was going to mention that, but maybe I shouldn't have been surprised that she didn't, but I thought there was going to be more of a discussion about how legalizing marijuana can't fix that sort of economic economic disparities, economic gaps in the state of California, but that wasn't there. Nevertheless, still worth a watch. And then finally, I watch Fatal Affair, and that's a 2020 film with, oh, I can't think of her name now. Anyway, it was disappointing. I kind of would characterize it as an ego-driven mess. And I hate to say that because I really like the stars of that one. And 
I just couldn't understand why he was so obsessed with her. So the plot was there's this woman and she runs into her college friend. They're in their 40s now. So we're talking 20 to 25 years ago, right? And he's doing some consulting work for her company. And it's like, oh, we should go catch up. Now you get the sense that she and her husband are in a much better place after going through a rough patch. Yet she still lies and says when she goes out to dinner with him, instead of just saying, oh, I'm meeting up with an old college friend because they never dated in college. She lies about it, which was weird. Like, well, why, (laughs) why would she do that if they were, it just was weird. And it didn't seem like the trouble in the marriage was she stepping outside of the relationship or having an affair. So I, it was weird. So then she kisses him, but then it becomes a whole thing where she lets him terrorize her colleague and stalk her all because she didn't want to tell her husband she kissed him it's like really it's it's just kind of (laughs) weird and this idea that he would be obsessed with her for 25 years so it comes out that even though she saw their relationship as just a friendship he was obsessed with her and in love with her and everyone saw it and it's like well you know I I also feel like you kind of have to watch it because let me I'm sorry I'm just gonna have to look up the stars because it's gonna yeah who's the actress you were talking about no and I absolutely love her Oh, for goodness sakes, Nia Long. So, Mm. Fatal Affair starring Nia Long and Omar Epps and billed as a psychological thriller, I wasn't thrilled. Another unbelievable thing, too, that he dated her colleague and her colleague didn't believe, she believed him over her. And it's like, well, you guys have been friends for 10 years. And so she meets this rando and all of a sudden she, it was there was just too much, too much stretch. Oh, oh, and one more. Sorry. So last one is Holy Hell from 2016. So Holy Hell. Yes. So this Holy Hell is a documentary about cults, a Ooh, specific cult okay. with this charismatic figure. This one, though, is unique because the filmmaker was the filmmaker for the cult. And so he had stock footage of their life and escapades. So how often does that exist? Really, people are relying on their own memory and experiences and they do recreations. But no, he had the actual footage. This gives it oh. the edge over other cult documentaries. And one of Wait, the more interesting. Yeah. What's the cult? What do they stand for? The usual stuff, uh, you know, love, friendship. <laughs> You're selling <laughs> you it. Know, I don't know what cults <laughs> usually do. You know, nothing. Friendship, it's- community exactly but it was super exploitative so they really worked around the clock so they had outside jobs and then they had to do all this work to support the charismatic leader and this is what was so crazy about the charismatic leader because apparently he was an actor and dancer or some sort of performer they would learn ballets build stages and then perform them to an audience of none i mean you were like wow <laughs> i mean and when i say ballet they weren't dancers so he took them through these grueling rehearsals yelling at them and expecting them to perform at a professional standard well to no one right they performed it to no one so they just performed it for themselves but they were costumes so it wasn't as if they just came their leotards no no sets costumes (laughs) they built it and what was crazy is he would say to build whatever theater he wanted and then he would come back and say, no, I didn't say that. I want it done this way. And they would start over. It was, wow. You just have, that's all you can say is, wow. I 
the same time, I'm not judging it because I think we all do things that are absurd from an outsider, albeit not that extreme where we're working 20 hour days to support a charismatic leader. And then he was abusing some people as well. It's pretty awful. But not everyone What's the was cult? Abused. Are they still around? I believe so. I can't oh. remember. Maybe not. Sorry. I, I watch so many of these cult things. I get... Yeah, I, we, I think we need to them. do an episode on that. There's oh, yeah, been a resurgence of them since... Um, did you watch Wild Wild Country? <laughs> I did, and I know how you, you feel about Sheila. You did. I we, had a, found... we actually discussed it, didn't we? Sheila. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had I a lot like, of th- I, good I like things her. to say about her. Well, she was just an interesting character. And to get all that done, I mean, to see what they built out there. They had a lake. They were in paddle boats. You're just like, how she get all these yeah. people to donate that for free? Yeah. I haven't, though. I think the interviews with her afterwards have fallen flat because there's been a lot of focus on her poisoning the townspeople. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> she, number one, she served her time for that. And then number two... I'm not sure if we hold because similar things happen with the government. And I'm not saying the government kills people, but I'm thinking of Flint, for example, right? This benign neglect and yeah. then people have lead in their water and no one there is thought of to be criminal. And they could be. I don't know how that's worse than Sheila. And that doesn't make you as dangerous, but they're not seen as dangerous. It's more like, oh, that's a systemic failure. But it, that's the thing with, with a cult is there's no other point to it, is there? I mean, in theory, in theory, the government also runs a country. The government also provides social services and healthcare and and whatnot. The government is responsible for this this particular criminal act. It's not like a cult's usually set up around a criminal act. Their entire purpose is to co-opt and coerce people into well, giving them money. I guess. Well, I don't know because cults. So cults, by definition, right, is like a new religion, right? So anytime something's new, it's going to be a cult, and it's always like well where are we drawing the line and i i'm supposing the reason why she sorry why sheila's group was a cult was the corruption but then it's like but i don't know because a lot of churches do that and i grew up in a baptist church and i can't even tell you the pastor had an affair and the church split as it always does the aftermath of it, because my family stayed at the church because we were just like, well, a church isn't a person, a church. We create the church, right? It's a building. It's the people. The expectation should be for people to drop the ball because we're people. That's what's going to happen. So you should expect that to happen as opposed to having a minister up on a pedestal and then being disappointed in replacing them mm-hmm. when it falls apart. But, you know, I'm not saying that was right. I'm just explaining the rationale behind it. So. What happened, of course, was afterwards you saw all the people at the bottom of the church hierarchy because they stayed behind, rise to the top. They got to be ministers and in charge of different committees and auxiliaries. And it was like the book Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. Have you read that? Which one? Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. No. And it's about colonization. And that's how, that's one of the tactics, right? When the British come in, they take the... I don't know if we want to call them a caste group or clan or ethnic group at the bottom and give them power over the others, right? Because you totally disrupt the social system and destabilize it. You take, yeah, you take away the sacred. You show that there's nothing behind it, that you have the real power. So he really takes you through that process. And I saw that happen in my church. All the powerless became powerful and then they then move the institution forward. So all that to say, we all, because 
the church I grew up was independent. It was always fundraising. We had four offerings. And when friends who were not Christians came to visit, it felt very culty to them because they're just like, why do you have to give money? People have to be coerced into doing that, right? They pull out scripture and say, look, this is why you have to give us money. I think, yeah, we'll talk about it at some point. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is the fact that a cult, at least in theory, of course, because we can't really claim that the, the church is innocent of all this, but the, the cult is set up for profit, isn't it? It's, it's set up to swindle people, to make money out of people's gullibility, but more explicitly than religion, I guess. And religion has historical legitimacy. But see, that's what I mean. That's why cults are just, they're new, right? So... But that's the thing with these with religion, is that it, it was like a melting pot of all the cultural practices of that particular place, plus proselytizing from various religious figures of that religion. So religion is very tied up into a country's history and culture, no, unlike definitely. a cult which can spring out of nowhere and then sets out its own dogma that's based on its own interpretation of something that's not really based on anything tangible or anything that people connect with. So, for example, Christianity has you know Celtic roots and depending on where you go, like Islam, it's a very different interpretation of the religion if you go to Pakistan or Bangladesh or no, North absolutely. Africa like or We only Syria practice religion through a cultural lens, that's true. But even yeah. then, it's like you, you take you take aspects of it, like you're saying, you take aspects of it and then it's fused with your own culture, so it's no real pure Christianity. But cults do that too. It, de- it depends on the cults, right? Like Mormonism, right? It takes yeah. aspects of the Bible, but then they have their own book which everyone's like, mm, yeah. where'd you get that from? Well, it's just that so many people of various level, levels of authority over the centuries have contributed to that book as opposed to one guy in a city in America that one year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So somehow it represents the psyche of so many people over the centuries and it's very much embedded in a region of... But see, that depends too. You can still trace the you know, Scientology and whatever to this one person who wrote it back that, that year. Just Cause I had, my cousin was uh, joined this cult actually. And I thought it was, it, it was so good oh. for me to see it because I was like, wow, this is how I look to all my atheist friends. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean that I, I told, and it wasn't until listening to her and like, what is she even talking about? I got it. On that note, I'm quite glad we went on a tangent about cults and religion because my picks are very, very slim on the ground this week. So again, you've saved me manically Googling intelligent stuff to say. Um, oh, Abla. You can cut a lot of this out. We did, we did say we were going to keep that to five minutes. So I mean, mine was going to last 30 seconds because basically <laughs> I actually haven't watched much this week at all, apart from revisiting The Sinner. You know, the series The Sinner on Netflix. It sounds familiar. It's very good. It's the first season of which stars Bill Pullman and Jessica Biel, who I always think is vastly underrated as an actress. And mm-hmm. so it's really the same premise of an unexplained murder that you then trace the history of and the, the origins of. So Jessica Biel's character is a young mum who shares her life with ah oh, I forgot his name it'll come back to me anyway they've got a child and they go to the beach and seemingly out of nowhere she lashes out and stabs this guy who's sat nearby on the beach you basically go through why she's done that 
she doesn't know why she's done it. And then Bill Pullman's character is, you know, like a disgruntled older detective who believes it was an unconscious act and uh, he tries to find out why why she did this. Anyway, it made me think of one thing. That's kind of why I'm bringing it up. We were discussing last time, and I don't think it made it into the final edit. We were discussing how a lot of police departments in the US are forced to expedite cases, right? So they end up pinning a number of murders on the same person. So I briefly mentioned it because there is a podcast about this actually and it's it's a, it's very interesting to listen to and what I'll do is I'll put the link to it in the description and this sort of dynamic happens in the sinner where the prosecutor I think tries to pin yet another murder on Beale's character just so that's a solved case so I just wanted to have a chance to put to mention this podcast and that's kind of why I mentioned the sinner and then the other thing it's not something I watched but it's something I just want to flag it's it's the Iraqi Independent Film Festival and that will be taking place from the 21st to the 28th of August and it will be online and I'll put the website in the description you can access it from the comfort of your own home and it's a um, film scene that has to overcome incredible hurdles so I'd love to see what they've managed to put together this year. Um, And that's really it from me. We can move on to the focus of this episode, which is American Horror Story Apocalypse. Now, I'd watched the first and second series series of uh, American Horror Story, Murder House and Asylum. And I absolutely loved Murder House. I thought it was the weirdest, most bonkers thing I'd seen in a while. I thought the credit sequence was one of the best things about it. But then I was slightly put off in season two by the dancing sequences. I am not the biggest (laughs) fan of musicals, especially when they interrupt horror. But that's the thing about American Horror Story, right? So they take an urban legend or very American myth and then build a season around it. So the second one is the haunted asylum. Okay. Delving into very suspicious practices of a psychiatry and tales around torture of uh, patients and so on. And then I think they, they pull in some Nazis and into the pot and whatever else. So it starts off quite promising and then they stop and dance. And I'm like, I did not need that. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. getting into it. So I sort of gave up. So you recommended me watching Apocalypse, which is great. I think it's a really good suggestion because it actually mixes a couple of seasons. So it's right. uh, it draws from the, the plot of season one and season three, Coven, which is about witches. And it's made me want to go back and watch season three. So I started to watch season three and I did not realize it was 13 episodes. And it is a little bit too much. Oh, and I, I did just start reading about it. I thought, ah, I think I can just get the cliff notes on this. But I do like it so far. And I do wish I'd watched Murder House, though. So I didn't realize that until I Oh, was... you haven't? No, I've not seen any of them. The only oh. one I've seen was I've seen two episodes of 1984, which was season nine, which is the last season that's aired. Um, interestingly, 1984, they start with the dance sequence of aerobics classes, and it just was very nostalgic for me, and I thought that was funny. I used to have the cutest photo when I was little of, of leg warmers. My mom used to love to put, us, put me in like... <laughs> Because it was in the 80s when I was a toddler and leotards and leg warmers and take pictures. She thought it was so fun. And I did like it too. I mean, my initial thoughts are if I were to describe this film that it's 
Hogwarts meets The Shining meets Ghost meets Rosemary's Baby meets The Exorcist meets Lost meets Dynasty meets The Stand. Saw elements of all of that, both fantasy and horror. And But I like apocalyptic films as well. So that's another thing in dystopians. So I was hoping to get elements of that and that, but there was no dystopian. But I thought it was still about the apocalypse because it was, <laughs> especially the episodes where they were surviving in the bunker on the cubes. That was fun. But that's the thing. So it was much more about how we get to the apocalypse rather than life after the apocalypse. Right. It wasn't life right? after the apocalypse. It was about what brought the apocalypse on and then how they're surviving the first two years of it. Yeah. Most films I think of that deal with those themes very much explore how human society functions post-apocalypse. I don't know, like what? Because it doesn't really do that. If anything, it talks about like their survival until they get to whatever island of survival. And then the film usually ends there. It never really shows what life on the island is like or whatever uh, last stronghold town. It's about their journey to make it to that place. I think what's interesting there, it's more apoc- the apocalypse as a way of as a way of talking about the Antichrist. So there were two things that I thought were worth um, looking at. The first one was, and I wanted your opinion on this. The first one was how they portray witches, and there's a rivalry between the witch, the white witches, and the voodoo mm-hmm. practitioners. And the other thing was how they use the figure of the Antichrist which I found quite retro and I felt like that's why it's very, it feels very tongue in cheek American horror story because it's just, these subjects just don't have the weight they used to have. So it's very much more about the soap aspects of it instead of, you know, like the religious dimensions I felt just weren't explored. No, it wasn't. Well, let's start, let's start with the portrayal of the witches. I think it is in terms of how, race is deployed in these horror films is interesting because what I was looking at was the magical Negro trope, right? Which that is usually central in horror stories, right? So the short version is just that it's a trope that creates a black character that really is, helps the story line along, right? So kind of an analogy would be, it works like the prosperity gospel Jesus versus the new Testament gospel Jesus, so like the prosperity gospel Jesus, right, is a magical genie figure. It has wisdom and virtue, and it really is there to help you overcome obstacles. Whereas the New Testament gospel Jesus is the protagonist. So in that concept, Jesus is the path to, is, is the path to salvation, right, is the truth in itself. So fantasy and horror films also often use the magical negro that's why black people have to die they don't need to survive because they're really just stepping stones they're a means to an end they're not going to be in charge they're just the sidekick and the friend that moves things along so i was really looking out for that in terms of the difference between the witches and the voodoo queens because even because he he roots it in the u.s more specifically in new orleans because of its voodoo traditions but they the new orleans voodoo queen so the way they had it right with the salem witches were from salem right so they're part of the kind of puritan pilgrim tradition so they're they're not in that world right where you have slave women and free women these are free women right so if they go to new orleans and 
they do have the voodoos there that's still rooted in that slave free woman dynamic so then the question becomes like how are you going to deal with that and i i'm not sure they really knew how to do it because the problem now is the way we talk about race in film particularly mainstream film it has to be an attitude and a behavior and i think that's why it was scapegoated to the one socialite slave owning serial killer that she's the racist one and no one else is in coven Mm. that's not an apocalypse right so then when we get to to apocalypse the only thing you get are black characters calling saying that someone's being racist and by racist like has a racist attitude or doesn't think that the black witches are the same as the white witches and they're coming like differential treatment they didn't set it up to where we understood who has power over what because in coven it was oh they just have different territories but then that doesn't really tell you what the difference is in their magic and really the default was was the witches had more power and greater power and better power in which case you've recreated the racial dynamic because you're saying now that the witch's power is greater than the voodoo queen's power and even their whole uh in coven their rituals their their outfits i mean it's just in a it's you you get the sense that it's a lesser mag- magic the way they're yeah, that's setting it, it up it's the a... lesser magic versus the witches who do things like they move things with their minds they start fires like a rational magic versus a very yes a very primitive uh, yeah there's something exactly there's something primitive about it and there's something very um very gimmicky about it they have to use tr- things they have to use animals yeah, exactly. and, trinkets have drums. and then dress up um, and it's very performative yeah, exactly. and it's very exotic and, they could, and i think they couldn't escape that because they didn't want to deal with the initial like what is whiteness really even in making the antichrist white like i thought about that too i mean not realizing it had tied into another season at that point so it's like well you kind of have to make him white because he's born to a white family what are you going to do but then at the end of course of apocalypse yeah. this antichrist is I don't even know <laughs> you know how we want to describe it. Do we want to describe him as having black ancestry? That might just be the best way to say it. Theoretically, right? Theoretically, it can be anybody in the world. But the Antichrist is always white. And Europeans are only, what, 500,000 out of 7 billion people. So really, the odds are the Antichrist would be Asian. If, if we're going to say what were the odds of picking one person up from the planet? And then after that, African. Just saying. Yeah, but that's the same reasoning behind Jesus being white. Is, is what? And blonde and so, and exactly. so on. Yeah, who's telling the it's story. Who's made him so, up and who's portraying him. So, yeah, exactly. So, and telling the story. And I like the actor. Who's telling the story. Um, who played it. I thought they, <laughs> he was, uh, I thought he was good at switching up. And he, it looks like he can cry on demand. So, as a lover of soap operas, I was impressed. Ultimately, I think they cast him, they they made him the Antichrist because he's good looking. And I think the whole of American Horror Story, the sexiness element is much more important than anything else. So you like soaps and you like, what is it? Sexy people doing sexy things. But you have to be unapologetic about it. And that's just it. I'm fine with that as long as you're unapologetic. I just don't like it then when people don't stand in that and instead say no we're trying to represent a diverse stop it you're not and i don't have a problem with that like i think you should yeah although i don't want to butcher this young woman's name but the one who played uh 
Queenie. Sadibe? I think it's Sadibe. So their portrayal of her, right? It's like she had to be, of course, like stereotypical strong black woman alone, though. No man for her. She's just alone. It's like you didn't have to do her like that. <laughs> and then, of course, what episode was that? Maybe it was the later episodes where then she like risks her life to have sex with the half animal half because she's lonely. It's like you guys did not have to do her like that. Not cool. If you're going to put yeah. her in there, she's got to get a man like everybody else. The Santo or whatever he was, was he a I Santo? don't know because he was the opposite. Wasn't he the, the only love interest of, yeah, exactly. of the black characters, of the black women? They didn't seem to have any sort of relationship outside of that. There's no black men anywhere to be seen. <laughs> it's like, meanwhile, the witches get several. They get men at the bars. They get ghosts. But they they get... And he's, he's hundreds of years old. But I don't know if he'd be a centaur because he was the opposite. He had the horse head or the animal head and then the human body. And then that's all Queenie goes after. It's like, stop it. She's in New yeah, Orleans. Yeah, I'm not sure what there to call are, it black men everywhere as far as the eye can see and we're to believe that she can't get one she just stays in that house with them and then complaining and calling them names it's like well no one told you to be there just like i mean and that's just it even the, the whole way that played that out too with the voodoo queen angela bassett bassett's character uh oh well you should be here with your own people it's like but now you're kind of breaking the rules of your own world because either she's a witch or a voodoo queen i didn't think you could just decide where you want it to be ultimately though i think because the writers want to avoid telling that story they certainly went with a sort of benetton look well that's the thing it's the fact that their relationships were very much secondary to everything else so they were really there at, to embody well just to say that that you could have thrown in some it wouldn't have it, yeah it was very possible and doable and you didn't even if they were momentary characters even someone coming in with some kids say say hi to one of the hairdressers say <laughs> say hi to mom we'll see you later look 10 <laughs> seconds and you threw in a character just to let you know that they're not there alone that they have they have families and lives and then that's the problem right other people get to be embedded in social networks of people meanwhile they're just there being strong and independent so initially like i said because i did watch apocalypse first and then i went back and i stopped and finished any others that there was a place right where cordelia she was someone accused cordelia of leaving queenie behind because she was black right and that's i think how it works these days racism in movies it's like people are accused of racist actions and then they said they didn't do it and i think i would have preferred if she did do that like, you don't have a racist protagonist that doesn't change. It's always got to be part of their story arc where, oh, they see the humanity or, oh, they make an exception yeah. for one person. So you get the sense that they will continue to break down barriers and work at changing their attitudes. No, I'd prefer it if they allow that to not be part of the change where they perhaps save some white people, but they're just like, sorry, no, I, I'm still, that's still part of my thing. I would have preferred if they just allowed her to be, I mean, she was from New Orleans, so I'd feel comfortable with that. Just like in Coven, they had to make her mom say, oh, there's nothing I hate more than a racist. She had to throw that in there. And my whole thing, it's like, don't tell me, show me. 
So I think I'd prefer yeah. a hero to remain racist throughout so that then we're left uncomfortable and with mixed feelings. That's more true to life. And I'd prefer if they did that as opposed to having to make the good character shout out, I'm not racist, I love to... Oh. But that's the thing. There's not much nuance in American Horror Story. And I don't think that's even that it's meant to have nuance. I think it's quite on the nose, but like everything else about it. The only um, exception to that is the character of Tate. He's played by Evan Peters, who then goes on to play um, Mr. Gallant, the hairdresser in Apocalypse. Uh So he's one of the recurring actors who plays various characters throughout American Horror Story. And in uh, season season one in uh, Murder House, he plays Tate, who... Uh, shoots. He's Jessica Lang's character's son, and they he reference ends up shooting yeah. his school. Yeah, and then he rapes Connie Britton's character, and he rapes her in disguise, wearing a rubber suit. And that's when the where the figure of the rubber man comes from, right? So Tate dies. He gets shot by the police, and then Tate's ghost is haunting a murder house. So the ghost of Tate, the malevolent ghost of Tate, rapes her. And then out of that, she she gets pregnant and then the Antichrist is born, right? Michael Lang, that's where Michael Langdon comes from. Anyway, the character of Tate is the only one that has been sort of redeemable, I guess, because he, well, no, he's also quite black and white. Basically, there's a there's a bit in Apocalypse where we go back to Murder House. Yeah. And which I assume, I assume you, you saw that. And in Murder House, the the daughter of yes. the couple that moves in the house falls in love with Tate, falls in love with his ghost, and then she dies herself. And then when she finds out what he did, she can't come to terms with it, and she can't reconcile the fact that she loves him, but yet he's a monster. So she shuns him, and I think she stops seeing him. And then Cordelia turns to her and says, all the evil that was in him left him when Michael was born so all the evil inside Tate was transferred to Michael, the Antichrist, and then that's it. And then Tate is now devoid of all evil. So it also, that's the only way that character's redeemable. And then you can start to sympathise with him is that suddenly he's not the one that did the school shooting. That's it. That was, he was possessed. Right. Which that that's in line with the genre of horror films, right? Because there was a joke. I, I'm sure you've seen Scream that... Like, that was one of the rules, right? If the woman's going to live, she has to stay yeah. virgin. <laughs> That's what she Because it's all the, all the girls, like, they die, right? In the process of, like, they've gone off from the group to have sex with their boyfriends and they're not going to live now. So at the beginning of episode seven in Apocalypse, Cordelia is accused of killing the voodoo queen because she's black, right? And then the reigning voodoo queen who you know she's the one who gets her her talk show and she's in the bunker that she says oh that new orleans white people won't hire her because they want to avoid accusations of cultural appropriation and i'm not sure when white people have feared that that would be news to me so i thought it was also a bizarre bizarre line like who's scared of that no one's in, in new orleans stop it people aren't even scared of that in california they are hardly scared of cultural appropriation now no yeah and then she goes on to say that that there is no black and white after she accuses her of being racist then she says there is no black and white only green and no no she said herself that as a voodoo queen it's the titles 
meaningless and there's it's based on nothing except a name because she has neither subjects nor a queendom and we know that black money is not white money and the same doors don't open for her which is why she needs satan to give her a show so what do you mean there's no black and white only green yes there's black white and green which is white like that's that's the point they like make an argument and then (laughs) they go against that i because they they are very much relying on this rainbow like class trumps race thing group trumps race like it's not really about race it's really about something else it's like well no no you you said yourself you don't have anything and it explains like the witches are just able to shell out cash no problem so (laughs) that's what i mean they just seem to have money they fly people out there they give them wardrobe changes and did you see their suits they were suited and booted those were designer black clothes they did not get that from target or even macy's not even neiman's that those were designer yeah at no point is explained where they make their money well i guess maybe it's a cult like all cults through money laundering and pyramid well, hey, schemes you have to show us you need to Something show us. Ma- what is it mlm <laughs> did i tell you i've been watching those anti-mlm people on youtube because that's gonna be the running thread of this whole because and I just think we're going to see as we move, <laughs> been as we every move into the depression, we're just going to be seeing more and more of it. And I'm just, I, I just don't know. I've already started getting the messages from friends. I don't know if you guys have that in France or even Lebanon where people chip in every month and then one person draws out on the pot but everyone keeps paying in so that everyone's able to borrow lump sums in turn i mean nothing would surprise me at the moment in lebanon considering the economic catastrophe right and that's exactly what you do you do it because you don't have access to capital so it would be like if you know five of us got together every month we put in some money right and then at the end of the year someone borrows the first lump sum and then you know so every year someone borrows until everyone's able to borrow that lump sum of money because we don't have access to capital that's but that has turned into a pyramid scheme saying no and the worst part is the worst part is they tap into the lowest self-esteem because black people in this country unfortunately there's a contingent who really have a sense of pretty much they think they're lesser than because they don't know what african ethnic group they're from I am not Mm -hmm. afflicted. So none of these things that appeal to this sort of pre-slave trade cultural sensibilities appeal to me, but for other people they do. And that's what they've put in the language of this scam. This is what our ancestors did. We've been doing this tradition for years. And it's like, okay, first of all, you didn't do it before slave trade because why would you have had to need to build up capital in a pre-capitalist society? Just... Anyway, I, I've gone way off after I said I wasn't here. I'm sorry. In a way. Way off the rails. It, it links back to one thing that you could say about the series, is, well, at least about Apocalypse, is that the way they portray the voodoo traditions of New Orleans, mm-hmm. that's a melting pot of all the traditions of the, the slaves and their descendants from all the various um, West African countries they had come from mixed with Catholicism and local culture and, and and so on and so forth. So when you say there's a there's a real issue with a lot of black Americans, there's like an what you call an all pervasive sense of melancholia because they can't trace their roots back to a specific country. They make up that history the same as Europeans in America. I would totally agree with that. Or really Europeans anywhere, because even, you know, before in 
certain stages of British history, even right, they describe themselves as a Mongol race, right? And saying like, oh, well, we've actually yeah. drawn on all these different, I mean, you don't hear that anymore. But at mm-hmm. one point, that was the national discourse. And those things change over time. And I think at one point in the U.S., you did hear more of that of white Americans saying like, even though I don't know how true it was, right? But it, it was a way people talked about it. So thinking about themselves like, oh, I have ancestors from all over Europe. For, because of the way race is constructed for black people, I think because white supremacy is built on the myth of racial purity, black people think mm-hmm. about ourselves as like desperate to say, okay, my ancestors came from Nigeria. It's like, you're 15 generations in. How would that <laughs> even be possible? <laughs> Honestly, but it's it's a way of thinking about it. So I, it's it's saying like, even if we were to think though of someone in, you know, Ghana, for example, they may identify as one ethnic group, but that doesn't mean all their ancestors are from that ethnic group either. That's just mm-hmm. the way they think about it. And that's the traditions they adopt, but it doesn't mean that's all of their ancestors. So even then that's a false idea. Like it's a false premise. And then you have yeah. to say, okay, well then what makes them from that made up colonial nation state, right? That didn't even exist. So there wasn't even a Ghana and now they think of themselves as Ghanaian. And then that's somehow more authentic than what I have. When in fact, and it's an interesting one though, you know, what you're saying about the different traditions for voodoo, because I think that's even practiced differently, for example, in New Orleans than it would be in Haiti, right? Yeah, well, they're different. Yeah, exactly. Even though they both draw on Catholicism. I think the concept of a voodoo queen and the use of dolls and so on, that's specifically a New Orleans thing. Mm, That's interesting. That's from Louisiana. That's not from Haiti. No, that's very interesting and not surprising. And of course, these things change over time, too. And I'm not surprised, which is also kind of to take it back to the point. That's why for her to say that these white women don't want to use her services, stop it. Of course they would. They maybe just don't want you parking in front of their house, but it doesn't mean they're not going to pay you. (laughs) That people wouldn't want to, you know, after generations, because that's just it. Like these practices, it's not only black people that are practitioners of it, but I mean, black people that use their services, but everyone uses their services if you believe in it. Mm -hmm. And so to then say, like, be, I mean, all you have to do is look at who owns everything in New Orleans. But then all of a sudden, because the white people have heard of it in New Orleans, heard about cultural appropriation, they don't want to pay you. It's like, mm, no. And besides, <laughs> in the magical world that they were trying to create, frankly, I just wanted to understand the magic. They were clear about carving out Papa Legba's space about where his domain was and what his power was. And it didn't take long to do that, right? They did it in a matter of moments. So that's why I don't understand why they also couldn't do that for the voodoo queen. So we understood what where the realm of their power was and where their power came from. Instead, they just kind of linked it to Tituba, which also didn't make sense. I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Wait a minute. I was fine with Tituba being used. I just didn't think she needed to be used with the voodoo queen story, right? So when Queenie talked about Tituba, that made sense because she's a witch. Okay, that's fine for her to be a part of that legacy. But the voodoo queens, how? Now that because they're all black, that's racist. Yeah. They come from a different tradition and we're supposed to have a different realm. And that's why I didn't know why they would invoke her versus Queenie. Queenie made sense. Definitely. But I think essentially it's because it's a season that's about witches and the history of America and the history around the witch hunts. And it would be, I think they would have felt it's a bit weird if we don't mention her because she's one of the first victims of the witch hunts and she's black. Well, and but she the, was black well, or but native. That's the thing. But even so, right? Like, even let's say they did mention Tituba. It seemed like 
it's more likely she'd be part of the white witch's ancestry than Queenie. You get what I mean? So to yeah. have to try to tie the black person or the indigenous person to the black person, like you didn't even need to do that because she could have given given the well, time. Well, she, she is. She was tried as a witch. Uh, there was nothing. I don't think there was anything relating to voodoo when it came to her. Right, exactly. So really, that should have been part of the white women's ancestry, which, you know, that's actually more likely given the status of, because I don't think she was a slave, was she? I think she was a servant to Tiba. I don't think. Oh, no, she was sold to someone. She was. Okay, a, she was. Yeah. yeah, she was a slave. Okay, well, then I guess to Queenie then. I take that back. It, it could be Queenie's legacy. Yeah, okay. So it's Queenie's legacy, but yeah, not the voodoo queens. Yeah, but then yeah, Queenie's so a they, witch as well, isn't she? So Right, that's sense. what I'm saying. That's why it fits, because Queenie's yeah. a witch. Because the voodoo queen invoked her, and that was, that was the problem. Because it's like, wait a second, how does she get tied in with the voodoo? That was the point, that no, she's Queenie, yes. Angela Bassett, no. <laughs> and I shouldn't say Angela Bassett. I forget her character's name. Gosh, I need I need to do better with writing um, writing people. Oh, Marie Laveau. Um, yes. Marie Laveau, that's it, yeah. So Marie Laveau, yes. Queenie, no. <laughs> so I would say that even though you didn't like dancing in this, I'd actually thought in episode five, Boy Wonder, where the woman got her whoa, song. Whoa, 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 what? Da- what? No, no, that was in season two that was dancing. There was no dancing in this. No, no, I was saying, so in episode five, Boy Wonder, I wanted a choreographed right. dance number. Oh. Because <laughs> when uh, Fleetwood Mac, what's what's the name? Of the oh, movie? yes. Um, oh, Stevie Nicks. Okay, so in episode five, Boy Wonder, Stevie Nicks comes and performs. And there was like, she was just spinning and dancing the the witch it's like mm, since there was already a warlock on the piano i think i would have preferred a choreographed <laughs> dance number since they were already halfway there to me and also <laughs> the plot twist they had it certainly reminded me of my family all the scheming that goes on behind the scenes and it looks like on the surface you're helping other people but you're really helping yourself i thought that happened a lot in this which i liked in the series an apocalypse mm-hmm. and also an apocalypse they had many different kinds of death there was an honorable death sat death brutal death sacrificial death i liked all of that and i would give it a seven out of ten i thought that its success was in that it told an old story in a fun way i thought that it could have been better in one more more favorite horror films is that they make they make you question the sort of everyday inconsequential activities as having some sort of meaning or undertones and this one didn't really do that yeah i agree they're all very entertaining and the acting's always top notch but i think there's an element of horror that i miss and i think because it's a little bit camp and a little bit on the nose and over the top I don't think it's that's what it's there to do so I don't really miss it but I when it comes to horror I tend to go for something a bit more eerie and a bit well just a bit more scary I guess I think it's very much about revisiting these myths and legends a few people a few fans have uh, read into it and I think one of the creators mentions this in an interview that they were inspired by Dante's Inferno. So up till about season seven, I think, they were re- they were representing the various circles of hell, which uh, it kind of works. Some of it's a bit tenuous, but that's quite an interesting reading of it, I thought. 
I think the themes they focus on every single time are very well well found. So there's always a lot of debate and gossip around the next, what they're going to focus on next. So now everyone's wondering. But yeah, it's very enjoyable, very entertaining. And what rating would you give it, would you say? What, just Apocalypse? or Yeah, just Apocalypse. Yeah, probably a 7 out of 10 as well. I would give um, like a 9 out of 10 to, to Murder House. I thought Murder House was very, very good. But also because I didn't know anything about it, I just stumbled onto this. Uh, I just stumbled upon this new series, and I thought, right, I'll just give it a watch. And it was utterly bizarre. And it takes a few episodes for you to even understand what the links between all the characters are and what's actually going on. And it's very disjointed, which works wonders. And I honestly think the opening sequence is fantastic throughout. Even in Apocalypse, is still probably the best thing about it. Okay, well, I think that's it. So we would recommend watching it. I don't think I would watch it again, but I am encouraged to watch other American Horror Stories. So season 10 apparently will come out next year. And I will likely watch that when that comes out. Comments and feedback are welcome. You can follow us on Twitter at MyDialorama and check out our website. And if you like us or support our work, you can now donate. There will be a donate button at the bottom of the homepage and we'll link to it on the podcast page anyway. Thanks for listening.